Hi, I'm Erwin McManus, and this is the Mosaic Podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining us today. And if you're one of our regular listeners, we love the fact that you journey with us. And we pray that every single message inspires you and helps you become the person that God created you to be. Every single week, we send a new message across the world. And everything we do here at Mosaic is made available to everyone in the world for absolutely free. The reason we can do that is that we have incredible people who give generously and sacrificially to make this possible. And I want to invite you to join us. If you're already a giver, thank you so much. If this is something you've not yet done, I want to invite you to start doing that now. Go to mosaic.org slash give and give a one-time gift or even beyond that, become a recurring giver here at Mosaic. And if you're one of those individuals who God has blessed in an amazing way financially, I want to invite you to become one of our partners here at Mosaic. What's really beautiful about Mosaic is that our biggest givers are families who do not live here in Los Angeles, but they are so committed to the message of Jesus going to the world that they support the work here from Los Angeles to the ends of the earth. And so I want to invite you again, go to mosaic.org slash give, become a part of our support system, become one of our partners. And more than anything else, I want you to listen to the message, allow Jesus to speak to you in a way that will change your life. Today is the last day that I am 64 years old. Tomorrow I turn 65 years old. And crazy. It's kind of weird being at the age where you thought people should be dead. It's, it's a strange place to be. And for all of you guys that are so much younger by three times, I want you to know that life does not end at 65. And I have friends that tell me, oh, you're 65. Are you retiring? And and they told me, you should announce you're, you're retiring from Mosaic. And I'm going, well, you know, I'm, I'm not on my deathbed. But, um, but we did make a 15-year commitment when we came here. We've been here 30 years. And we are so grateful for every part of the journey that we've been on together. And I look at you and I think, man, we are just getting started. You are the best material to change the world with. And so we just want to do life with you and keep journeying with you. And we're just so excited to be with you guys. And we love you so much. And I'm going to do a commercial, which I really never do. I have a book coming out, and it's called... <laughs> and I know they announced it earlier, but, you know, if you want to know what the perfect birthday gift is, buy this book and, uh, and read it. Buying it doesn't affect you. If you buy it, it will not change your life. There's no magical properties in this book. But I will tell you, there are transformational properties inside the book. And what is so exciting to me is that this book is um, a little different. And Mariah had actually told me, hey, Dad, you have to help people transition because the book is different. It's a social psychology book. It's not, it doesn't go into like the, if you go into the bookstore, it will not be in the Christian bookstore section. It will not be in the faith section. It will not be in the religion section. It will not even be in the spiritual section. It will be in the social psychology, business, that kind of section. And, and I did it very purposefully. Uh, a huge part of it is so many of my friends that I relate to do not believe in God. They are very tentative about faith, and, and they think it's really odd that I believe in Jesus. And they would not read the genius of Jesus because it has Jesus' name on the cover, even though they're really interested in genius. And I wanted to write a book that they could read that would have a positive transformational impact on their life. 
And I wanted to write a book that could affect those of us who believe and also that we could give to our friends who do not believe. And then when you actually help a person, they become so much more open to any conversations about faith. So this book is not me no longer believing in Jesus, okay? And um, it's, it's me believing so much in Jesus that I know that um, truth will actually open people up. And I don't know why, but Christians seem to think that you have to add the Bible verse for something to be true. Because I'll say something and I'll go, you know, in Hebrews it says this, and Christians go, yes, that's right. And then I just say, this is true, and I don't mention Hebrews. They go, I don't know about that. It's the exact same thing. And I think sometimes we're more confident in being religious than we are in being grounded in what's true. And so everything in this book is true, and it also changed your life. And frankly, I, I, I look at my friends and I go, they believe in Jesus, but they go to Gary Vee for advice. They believe in Jesus, but they go to Tony Robbins for advice. They believe in Jesus, but then they go to Jay Shetty for advice. So they believe in Jesus, they go to Mel Robbins for advice because they don't believe Jesus has really good advice for life. And I love all those people, and they're pretty amazing people. And I just want to be, um, I want to make sure there are people who believe in Jesus who are also in that conversation. Wouldn't that be really cool? So anyway, so I've never really asked you to do this. Go buy the book, and, um, and you probably need like 10 of them, okay? And then, and then, more importantly, give them to a friend. All right, that's the whole commercial. All right. So this week, I felt a lot of pressure about what I would talk to you about. Because after all, it's, it's my birthday, and so I wanted to talk about something that really mattered to me, something that was significant to me. And, and anyone who knows me knows that I have a lot of areas that are just really interesting to me and fascinating to me, and, and, and they just sort of capture me. And over the years, I would just keep hearing the language of the singularity. And at, at first, it was a really elusive concept to me. I thought, what is a singularity? What is the singularity? And, and then you'd see it in science fiction movies, and you'd read it in different books, but then you also see it in, in the realm of, of physics or science. And, and then you begin hearing about it when people start talking about artificial intelligence. And it's a fascinating idea that from a technological perspective, that there could be a turning point in human evolution where something actually shifts at such a seismic level that we humans have to evolve to an expression of humanity that we've never had before. I'm gonna read a couple of definitions here because today I wanna to talk to you about the singularity. It can also be called the technological singularity. It says, a singularity is hypothesized future era or event when exponential improvements in computer intelligence and advances in technology will result in an acute change in human society and evolution. Now listen carefully to that. It's saying that, that there's such an advancement in computer intelligence or consciousness, and advancements in technology that they result in an acute change in human society and evolution. So the singularity isn't about AI developing consciousness. It's about what will happen to human beings if there's a revolution of consciousness with artificial intelligence, which is so exciting to me. 
A lot of people are afraid of what could happen if computers became too smart. And what I'm excited about is if computers become really smart, who do we have to become? There are other definitions that says, the term has extended into other fields. The most notable use is in the world of astrophysics, where a singularity is a point, usually but perhaps not exclusively, at the center of a black hole, where curvature of space-time approaches infinity. So another definition of, of the singularity would be that place, most likely in a black hole, where, where time and space actually form in such a way that they approach infinity. An, an entire radicalization of the definition of time and space. Various futurists define a technological singularity as the point beyond which we can know nothing about the world or even reality. Now, why should this be important to us? Why should we have this conversation about the singularity in this context right now? If the singularity is that intersecting point where time-space actually touches infinity and causes a transformation of the human species in such a way that we are no longer who we were before, I want to propose to you that that has already happened. That you may be unaware of it, but you are the singularity. I want to go to this particular place in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. And I want to read some verses together that describe who you are if you are in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians, chapter 2, beginning verse 4, it says, But because of his great love for us, and by the way, everything we're going to talk about is driven by God's great love for you. So we're going to have some tough conversations in a minute. But I want you to know that even the tough conversations are all driven by God's great love for you. Says, but, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, God is rich in other things, but we really need him to be rich in mercy, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up in Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do, good, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Now what is happening here is Paul's describing who you are when you enter into this transformational relationship with Jesus. And what happens so oftentimes is that we, we sort of rush over the descriptions that tell us who we are because they do not match our view of reality. Now, before we get to this particular section that I just read, there is, well, a section I avoided. It's the harder section to read and to hear and to digest. It begins in verse 1. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, 
in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, what exactly is Paul saying to us? I want you to hear that there are certain things that the scriptures say about you that are not future tense. They're actually not even present tense. They're past tense that imply present tense and future tense. I want you to go back to verse 4. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Now, a lot of us think that Jesus came to save our lives, but he did not. He came to give us life. There's a difference. And in this particular description, what he's actually telling us is that all of humanity is dead. And it's a hard thing to accept because we don't feel dead. Do you feel dead? Even when I did not believe in God, I didn't feel dead. Some days I felt like I wasn't alive. But I would have said I was alive, that I was not dead. If you gave me a choice, are you dead or alive? I'd say, of course I'm alive. But the problem, of course, is that I didn't really know what life felt like or looked like or was like. So all I knew was death, and so I thought death was life. Now, one of the great tragedies or difficulties in the scriptures is that God uses the same words we use with different meanings. So when God says, I want you to live, we think it means what we say when we say, I'm alive. But God is saying something very different. It's as if you're from El Salvador, but you thought you were tall. See, in El Salvador, my people are essentially very short. We are small people, noble, proud, but small. So when I go back to El Salvador, they always look at me and say, you cannot be from here. And I know why, it's because I am a giant of a man. Because in El Salvador, I am tall, but not when I go to Norway. In Norway, I am short. But in Norway, if you're tall, you're not tall, you're just Norwegian. You're just average. Because if everyone is the same as you, you think that's average. You don't think you're short. If you're in a world of short people, you don't think you're tall. If you're in a world of tall people, you don't think you're dead. If you're in a world of dead people, you think it's what is normative because everyone is experiencing the same thing. But there's something very cosmic happening here, and that's where I want you to go with me just for a moment. Because what he's actually telling us, he says that there's... there's Something happening in the invisible reality that we need to pay attention to. In verse 2, he says, We were dead in our transgressions and sins, verse 1, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is something terrifying, almost ominous. It feels like a Stephen King movie. He's saying that we're all living in a reality that is actually the expression of death. Now, I, I was listening to someone on Instagram because I, I love listening to these short clips of all these different self-help leaders and personal development coaches. And, and one of them kept saying over and over again, and the universe is for you. And the universe is for you. And the universe is for you. And I actually do believe the universe is for us. I just don't think the universe knows you. I don't think the universe is going, oh, I'm just so much for you. I just like you so much. I'm, I'm just for you. 
The universe is for you because it's leveraged in your direction because God is for you. But there's more going on. See, if you're going to just give all the credit to the universe, then you need to give the universe some of the blame. Because there's more going on in the universe. Have you noticed that we live in a reality where violence is normative? We live in the human space where there's war and murder, where people steal and kill. We live in a world where there's poverty and injustice. How can we never attribute that to the universe? And so we ignore all the realities of the dark energy in which we live. And yet what Paul is actually telling us is that we are living inside of a reality of a dark energy that you cannot see but informs you. Now, my wife, Kim, hates the word energy. I'm just going to throw that out there right now. We were in the car on the way to Mosaic, and I said, that person has frenetic energy. She goes, what? She goes, they have frenetic energy. I, they make me uncomfortable. And she goes, what's the word frenetic? Is that like an L.A. word? I said, it's not an L.A. word. It's a big word. L.A. doesn't use big words. And <laughs> they bring frenzied energy. Do you have any friends that just... They just bring anxious energy into the room all the time. I mean, I love all of you guys, but some of you make me anxious. You just walk in and you're like, oh, you know, it's all going bad. It's all going bad. It's like, I just know it. And you could just, you ever just, you ever just get around people and just like all the energy just negative? It's dark. It, it, it's, it's, we don't say this. We all just try to be so optimistic. Oh, I love your energy. How about, I don't like your energy. Get your energy away from me because there's a lot of negative energy out there, isn't there? And we don't talk about this dark energy, but Paul is actually telling us that we live in an energetic universe and there is dark energy, but the language he uses is spirits. And that there's, he says, a spirit of disobedience, of destruction. Let me put it a different way. Have you ever noticed that when you do nothing, you move towards your worst self? You have to actually do something to move towards your best self. Have you ever noticed that negative emotions come easy, and positive emotions take work. It doesn't even make any sense, does it? Have you ever noticed in your head, if you do not take care of your inner world, all the voices in your head are negative voices. It's so much easier to move to bitterness. It's so much harder to move toward forgiveness. It's so much easier to move toward hate. It's so much harder to move toward love. Why is it that all the positive attributes of humans actually seem unnatural to us and all the negative attributes seem so natural to us? What the scriptures are actually telling us is it's because we're inside of this dark energy that pulls us toward death. And your soul knows it. And that's why it lives in fear that it's going to be swallowed up by this darkness. And you're trying to move toward the light. But what he says here is that by God's great love, he made us alive. Now, here's the beautiful thing. That's not a future statement. He doesn't say, I'm going to make you alive. He says, he made us alive. So if you've opened up your life to Jesus, you're not waiting to live, you are alive. See, if you've allowed God to change you from the inside out, you may think you're the same, but you're not. You were dead, but now you're alive. By the way, that's why we have baptism. Baptism is a symbol of a water grave. 
It's a water grave because you walk into that water grave dead, and then you're buried. The best thing to do with a dead person is bury them. It's so awkward when dead people are walking around. It's just so much better when you take a dead person and you bury them. Just die. And then when you come out of that water, and nine out of ten times you do come out of that water, and when you come out of that water, it's a declaration that you are new, that you are now alive. Because what Jesus actually does is he moves you from death to life. So look at the person next to you and say, I am alive. Look at the other person you just ignored. I don't know why you chose that person and ignored that other person. Now look at that other person and say, I am alive. I want you to understand that the life that Jesus promises is not something you step into when you die at the end of this life. It's when you die in the middle of this life. Come on. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich and mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead. I was dead, but I'm alive. I am a singularity. I am the convergence of time and space, but infinity has erupted within my soul. I am alive. The new evolution of being human has already happened. But your soul may be waiting for it. You may not have the language for it, but you sense the dark energy that pulls your life into darkness, into depression, into despair, into suicidal thoughts. It pulls you toward bitterness and unforgiveness and jealousy and greed, and it pulls you under with the promise of temporary things that all turn to dust. He goes on to say, and God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Now listen to what he's saying. Not only is he telling us reality is that we are dead. Now I know it doesn't feel real, it doesn't look real, but, but you, you're just going to have to make the shift that Newton had to make or would have to make today. See, Newton was so sure that, that there was a difference between material and and energy, that, that mass and energy were not the same thing. And it, it, it took a little time, and it took minds like Einstein to realize no mass and energy are actually the same thing, that, that it, it's all energy, that all reality is energy. Isn't that crazy? That sounds like superstition. It sounds like magic. Because everything I experience tells me that's solid. But it's not. That's just energy crashing against energy. And this reality is an energetic reality. And what the scriptures are telling us is that this material reality is a spiritual reality. In the same way that all mass is actually energy, all humanity is actually spiritual. 
What God is trying to do is move you from death to life. He's also trying to change your location from time and space into eternity. I had a DM this week, and I get a lot of DMs that I cannot answer them all. But this young guy DM'd me. I checked his Instagram. He looked really, really kind and, and friendly and sincere and was in his early 20s. He said, I'm in a small group, and we're having a conversation about heaven. I don't usually talk about heaven. But he said, when we die, do we go right to heaven? Because some people are saying that we go into this soul sleep. We're going to this holding state before we go to heaven. He goes, what do you think? I just thought I'd reach out to you and ask before I asked my pastor. (laughs) (laughs) And then I remember Kim told me when she was being raised in the church that they taught her about something called soul sleep, where you don't go to heaven, you just die in your sleep until Jesus comes back. And so I responded when he asked me, when do you go to heaven? I said, yesterday. You're already there. If you're in Jesus. Because it says this, and God raised us up with Christ. He raised us up. But we think we just got raised up to here. We're underestimating how high we got lifted. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, I love whenever the Bible teaches something that doesn't make any sense to me. Because we're either here or there, right? And yet, if you ask God through the scriptures, where am I? Am I here or am I there? He would say, yes, exactly. (laughs) But God, am am I trapped in time and space? Or am I in this boundless reality of eternity? He said, yes, now you understand. No, I don't understand. See, the scriptures were teaching about the multiverse long before Dr. Strange ruined everything. What the scriptures are actually telling us is that you are a multi-dimensional creature. That if you're outside of Christ, if you have not opened up your life to God, you are trapped into time and space. See, what you can't identify is your soul suffocating because you're trapped in time and space. You feel it. You see, when 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 you're trapped in time and space, you're no different than a jackal or a rabbit or a giraffe or a hippopotamus. You are trapped, confined, like a created creature in time and space. But you are not designed for that. You are designed with a soul. You are an eternal creature. And so when you open up your life to God and allow Jesus to change you, you are now translated into a multi-dimensional reality. You are seated here in Hollywood, and you're seated there in the heavenlies at the same time. The problem, of course, is perspective. Where do you see your life from? 
Because if you see your life trapped in time and space, you're always going to feel as if you're suffocating. But if you see your life from the vantage points of eternity, you're always going to have perspective. You ever have a moment just feels overwhelming to you? A moment that you just, it just feels so heavy and so hard that you don't know if you can find the strength to get past it. That's because you're convinced that you're trapped in time. Now imagine if, if in that moment you could realize, oh, I've already lived this moment. I'm actually seeing myself from the vantage point of eternity. Wouldn't it be great if in your hardest moments you had someone always cheering you on? You know, someone who just look at you and go, no, it's okay. You got this. This, this too will pass. This, this moment is just temporary. I'm not sure why, but when I was 16 or 17 years old and I did a lot of stupid things, that's not what I'm confused about. What I'm confused about is I would tell myself this. In 20 years, this isn't going to matter. Somewhere along the way in my teenage years, maybe from all the dumb things I did, because there were times I just felt like I was suffocating. Suffocating from my bad choices. Suffocating from my stupidity. Suffocating from my lack of wisdom. Suffocating from my short-sightedness. I was just suffocating from being me. And I would tell myself in 20 years, this isn't going to matter. The problem is that some things actually do matter 20 years later. But at least it made me feel better. But what would happen if, if there's someone who had the vantage point of eternity looking at you and saying, you got through this moment. Not, 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 you're going to get through this moment. But you, you got through this moment. Say, so, well, what would you do? What would it be like if you could actually hear that person look at you and say, I remember when you felt like this. I remember when you were being crushed by the weight of that failure. You overcame it. And that person, as wonderful as it would be that it, would, it were God, that person is actually you. It's the future version of you trying to tell you that you got this. Trying to tell you that you are limitless. You are boundless. You are more than what you can see. How would you engage every day of your life if you knew you were more than just a creature trapped inside of time and space? How would you enter a room if you knew I am also seated in the heavenlies? I've got premier seating in eternity. So this is what I know about myself. I am alive. I don't have to wait till I die. I already died. I took care of it. I changed the order. I confused reality. I am the singularity. And I can get up and I can look in the mirror and even though I feel bounded, I feel trapped, I feel limited, I feel like I'm not enough. If I can remember that I'm seated in the heavenlies, I can remember I am limitless. I'm unbounded by all the limitations that my mind tells me hold me back. Imagine if you could begin to see yourself as a creature already thriving in eternity, playing it out in history. There is infinity 
erupting in your soul. And God has destroyed every boundary that could ever hold you back. For you are seated in the heavenlies. And then he says this. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. When I remember that I'm alive, I realize that I have shifted my reality from the darkness to the light. I am no longer under the prince of the power of the air. I am now under the prince of all peace and freedom. I'm a part of the light and bringing light to the darkness. When I remember that I am limitless, I know that I'm no longer bound by time and space. That my capacity goes beyond my wildest imagination. No wonder God says, I will do more than you could ever ask or imagine. We keep living in the lie that we are so bounded. Not even time and space could control you. But then he says, you are God's handiwork. You're God's masterpiece. God has designed you and created you in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you hear what he's saying? Oh, look at the person next to you and say, I am alive. alive. No, with conviction. I am alive. Now look at them and say, I am limitless. Look at the other person, I am limitless. Now I want you to look at them and say this, I was made for this. That's exactly what he's telling us here in verse 10, that you are God's handiwork. You are his masterpiece. He has designed you and then redesigned you because you messed up the design. And he has redesigned you with an intention because he knows exactly why you're here. He knows what will give you significance. He knows what you're supposed to accomplish. He knows your purpose. He knows your intention. And he calls you to that assignment based on how he has designed you. You are designed to be assigned. That's right. Imagine if you knew that you were the perfect fit for the most extraordinary life you could ever live. Have you ever felt like you just didn't have enough talent? I have. We just were not intelligent enough or gifted enough or you just were not enough. In fact, there have been times that you ever felt like, God, I don't know what you're thinking. I remember being 29 years old, never having spoken to more than 200 people with 45 minutes notice, I'm asked to speak to 20,000 people. I was terrified. I didn't feel prepared for that. I felt inadequate, terrified. I fell on the floor in a room and I wept uncontrollably. I was not confident. And when I look back, when I look back now, I realized that I didn't know that God had designed me for that moment. I couldn't see it. In fact, if anything, I was underestimating God's design in my life. If you had asked me, what are you capable of? I would have said, well, I'm capable of this much. It's almost as if God was saying to me, you so much underestimate 
what I've placed inside of you. Imagine if you could walk into every room, every opportunity, every time you get thrown into a different situation, every time you feel overwhelmed, you could have this voice inside of your head reminding you, I was made for this. Imagine if you had enough confidence to believe that God designed you exactly right and called you to the exact life that that design was perfect for. God is not going to make you a hammer if he needs you to be a plier. He's not going to make you a screwdriver if he needs you to be a nail. He's going to make you exactly what you're supposed to be to accomplish exactly what you're supposed to do. God's good that way. You are God's craftsmanship, his workmanship. So when you wake up and you tell yourself you're not enough, you're telling God you blew it. Now I know. There have been so many times I just felt like I did not have enough talent. You feel that? Talent is not my responsibility. If I don't have enough talent, that's on God. He blew it. Times are like, God, I just just don't have enough intelligence. If I don't have enough intelligence to do what I'm created to do, that's on God. I am supposed to bring the courage. I am supposed to bring the character. I am supposed to bring the determination, the hard work. I'm going to go ahead and trust God that he's designed me exactly the way I need to be designed, doing exactly what he needs me to do in my life. And if you can have that kind of confidence when you wake up in the morning, I am alive, I am limitless, and I was made for this. What in the world is gonna stop you? Jesus did not come to save your life. He came to give you life. He didn't come to fix you. He came to transform you. 2,000 years ago, God stepped into human history in the person of Jesus, and the singularity happened. Eternity stepped into time and space and walked among us. All of time and space converged in a moment, And when Jesus was crucified, the singularity erupted. Life and death collided. And the black hole could not win, for the light overcame the darkness. And when Jesus rose from the dead, he invited us to step into that singularity. He did not come to make you a little better. He came to make you the full expression of being human, to awaken the image of God in you. I got to tell you, I have so many friends who are just like, now until like plant medicine, and I know I shouldn't say this. Plant medicine is just a really fancy way of saying drugs. And, you know, so many friends are into ayahuasca. And I keep asking why, it's because it gave me a transcendent experience. Even people doing ayahuasca are searching for a transcendent experience. Why is that? It's because our souls know that somehow something is trapping us within time and space. Our souls are suffocating. We can't breathe because we know we were never designed to live only here. And Jesus has offered you to step into the singularity where you are free from death. You are boundless. And you are alive and fully designed 
to live the life God created you to live. And the proof of God is best revealed when a human being is fully alive. And that's why Jesus came. And by the way, it's why you need to give him your life. Because the life you give him pales in comparison to the life he will give you. So I want to invite you just to bow your heads with me just for a moment. Just close your eyes. There is the singularity that physicists are looking for and scientists are predicting and futurists are exploring. They have a sense that human beings will one day have a transformational evolution where we are no longer the way we were, but a new version of ourselves. Jesus already came to make that happen. You can be alive. You can be boundless. You can be designed by the God who created you to fulfill your ultimate intention and purpose in life. But you have to trust the God who created you to step into that. And I want to invite you right now to put your trust in Jesus, to put your lives in the hands of the one who died for you so you could live. And in this moment, if you're ready to step into life, I want you to pray this simple prayer right now. Jesus, I give you my life. Right now, I just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Are you tired of existing? Are you tired of pretending you're alive? Do you feel the world around you pressing in and you're suffocating? Are you ready to be free, to be whole, to be alive? Just tell him, Jesus, I give you my life. If this is your prayer, I want to pray for you. If you just whispered this prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I want you to raise your hand up high right now. Right now, you are becoming the singularity. Hold it up high. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be ashamed. You're being translated from darkness to light, from death to life, from time to eternity. Right now, hold it up high. Father, I thank you for each person who in this moment has opened up their life to you. God, I, I pray that you would so envelop them in your presence that life would never even be the same for them again. That they would be able to wake up every day knowing I am alive, I am limitless, and I am made for this. May they live out the life you created them to live. May they know every day they are not insignificant, they are not a speck of dust in the backdrop of the universe. They are created with intention and value and meaning. And I thank you, Jesus, that you never took your eyes off of them. You never stopped pursuing them. You've never stopped loving them. And I thank you that you're here for them today that life has begun. The singularity has come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we just thank God for all those who responded to him? So good. I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Mosaic Podcast. 
as God has spoken into your life, one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that when we've been invested in, we need to also become investors. And I want to encourage you right now, if Mosaic is one of the platforms from which you grow spiritually, you connect more deeply to God, and your faith with Jesus becomes more real, I want to encourage you right now to go to mosaic.org and become one of our givers. Give a one-time gift, become a recurring giver, become a part of what God's doing across the world. Mosaic isn't just a church in Los Angeles. Mosaic is all of us working together.